right, welcome to another edition of the Cut Pro Wrestling Podcast. I am your host, the one and only Randy Zellier from BackSportsPage.com. With me now, with joining me today is our one of our members of our Cut Pro Wrestling team from BackSportsPage.com. We call him JD, but his real name is Jonathan Mowry. And JD, welcome to the show, my friend. It's going down, Randy. Hey, man, listen, I'm glad to have you. Uh, we're we're we've been teasing for the last couple weeks. That we'll be changing up the format, throwing it out, building a new one. Here comes the ship. We're rocking and rolling. And uh, JD, it's good to have you on. Let's uh, real quickly let everybody know a little bit about you, since you're going to be on the show a little bit, on and off. And we figured we uh, get to know you. Talked about your wrestling fandom, how you guys started with the pro wrestling world. Sure. Um, so yeah, I was a fan and still am a fan. Uh, something that my dad really brought me into when I was much younger. I think by the time I was like five or six, I could name pretty much everybody on the main roster of uh, WWF at the time and probably what their finishers were. Like It was just something that we would do, um, just watch the TV uh, shows. And my first show was actually at Hershey Park um, when I was there with my grandfather. So that was pretty cool. Um of all things, it was Hulk Hogan and uh, Tugboat tagging together, of all things, was oh the main God. event. And we're, wow. we're kicking it old school on that, yeah. Yeah, um, poor Freddy, poor <laughs> Freddy. Yeah, he got stuck with that Shockmaster <laughs> gimmick, baby. The Shockmaster, boom. <laughs> Again, not my, not my call. Anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, so I've been watching the products uh, – on and off and continuing through uh doing a little bit of writing um and yeah just trying to stay as current as possible so yeah um thanks for having me on and let's uh, let's do this all right well we're gonna have a new segment on the show here called no disqualification our wonderful producer andrew fumi who's joining us right now there he is andrew's gonna be uh you know joining us to Give us some topics to go back and forth with. Originally, we recalled this originally something like two out of three falls. He was going to win, but, but you know what happens if you know we want to make sure we get all the topics in. So we're going to go no disqualification. We're going to go no holds barred. Me versus JD. Andrew's going to throw the topics out. Andrew, I'm ready for you. What do you got for me, uh, gentlemen? Good to be joining you tonight. <laughs> so let me consult my notes. <laughs> This Question. Pay, this, this is why they pay him the big dollars, by the way, everybody, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Got to point that out right now. This is why he's, this is it. He's the brains behind this operation. <laughs> <laughs> so, question number one. Randy, let's start with you. Then we'll open the floor to JD. And then I will decide. Best return of the weekend. Becky Lynch, CM Punk, or Brock Lesnar? Oh, I, I thought it was going to be a difficult question. I, I think no. I, I this think, is a deceptive question. I really think there's a right answer, but there isn't. No, do I have to rate them? Do I have to rate the returns, or do I? Is it like one of those things where I just pick one and give my love or deceit or hate to them in that situation? Uh, convince me which one of these returns was the best of the weekend. Okay, it was definitely CM Punk in my eyes, and the reasoning why it was CM Punk is one: you're in your hometown of Chicago. Okay, Kisnet, as as uh, as they say. Now it definitely wasn't Kisnet. You could tell there was a plan behind it. Behind it, and look, CM Punk came back into Chicago with his fans, 
getting the admiration which he wanted to help make this an easier transition because he went, you know, he went back from saying, I'm not coming back to wrestling at all to I'll be open to it if they give the right offer to mm-hmm. yeah, like here we are. And it did like there are some people like Booker T who's been on record criticizing the return on Friday night. I personally loved it. I was caught up in the moment. Uh, it was definitely enthralling to hear Punk say he wants to be there. Punk yeah. is who's who's been awfully critical of the product at times. He did not want to wear the WWE uniform anymore. He wanted to go back to being a professional wrestler. And mm-hmm. and him challenging Darby Allen in the battle of the straight edge guys is definitely something we all want to see. Having CM Punk on a show, and with no offense to Roman Reigns, he's doing an unbelievable job for what he is doing in WWE in some senses. But you can't go on radio stations and say CM Punk's not over and then have then 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 draw over a million people in ratings on on a Friday night. So yeah. look, CM Punk coming back is a big deal. It's a big deal for AEW because it's a guy who has equity outside the ring it's going to bring more attention to the aew brand so if you're asking of the three cm punk is the one that made the most difference mm-hmm. uh yeah i i don't disagree i agree with that um i'm gonna give you my thoughts on this after we hear from jd question extends out to you now best return of the weekend jd becky lynch cm punk brock lesnar what are your thoughts well um randy makes all great points um i really refute anything that he said on that um if i'm gonna look at the other two uh i really feel that they could have done a whole heck of a lot more uh with becky lynch yes the shock factor of her coming out and um having that match if you want to call it a match it was two Mm -hmm. moves and beating bianca belair which yeah, uh, I, I think it could have been booked much better if you're looking at it as, okay, she had to give up her title because she was going to have a baby, so she never really lost it, and we're going to transition it back to you. Okay, that's fine, but write it out a little bit better so you're not burying a young talent that has you know, a lot of future. Um, yeah, you might build up a feud uh, that way, but... You're burying a very strong, pure athlete that, you know, if you go back and look at all the NXT stuff, you're going to see that, you know, she has the strength and everything to really back it up. So to bury someone like that with that pedigree on film, eh, not not necessarily how I would have went with it. But again, you get the belt back on Becky. Okay, fine. As far as Brock, okay. Mm, you know, yeah, you get the pop factor because no one thought he was going to be there. Yeah. But at this point in time, yes, Brock is a box office attraction. Yes, he's believable, but everybody's seen this before. It's not mm-hmm. anything new. Exactly. It's not anything fresh. I mean, yes, Brock coming out with a beard, which, you know, don't get me wrong. I like the look, but, you know, not necessarily look. his thing. Yeah, and um, it'll be interesting to see how the writing team goes about uh, telling this story. Um, 
do I think that the potential is of Brock going over and basically putting Roman in his place? You know, I could see it. Um, maybe leading up to WrestleMania as like a triple threat. I really do feel like they're going to put Cena in the mix. I kind of see Cena win in the Royal Rumble. As stupid as that may seem right now, um, you know, I don't see them not attempting to try to get that kind of draw for the big show. And, you know, so his, his return, although it was significant for the end of the show, it wasn't nearly as good as what Punk's was as far as relevancy. Getting more eyes to the product and then having other people that have really have a negative feeling or a, like a bad taste in their mouth of AEW being more of a comedy show, I think he brings more legitimacy to the, to the show and then will also hone more talent um, with their skills. Um, do I think he should have went right in with Darby Allen? Uh, maybe. I think they could have played with the storyline a little bit more, but I also feel like CM Punk is an enigma that he doesn't need to be a face or a heel right away. Mm -hmm. He can just be himself, and because his character is so strong, he can go in and just face people no matter what. So yeah. after a year, year and a half, maybe they have a clear defined cut of, okay, you're a face or you're a heel. But until then, again, because he's been gone for so long, I feel like he can just be himself. And because he's going to have the creative control, I think the storylines are just going to be that much better. So. Yeah, Ultimately, I, yes, I, I agree with Randy. CM Punk has the number one debut. Yeah, both 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 of you guys made fantastic points, and I have it ranked the same way. CM Punk number one, Becky Lynch number two, Brock Lesnar number three, and Becky Lynch. Actually, I thought about this for for a little bit. Um, I was willing to put her actually at number one, but the way that she went over Bianca Belair, and you touched on it, JD, just like absolutely squashed her. It really ruined the moment, and it didn't. Uh, it didn't help Belair. It didn't really help Becky either. It just come out and get the belt like it was a gift on Christmas. And I think if there was a, I, I don't mind her right. getting the belt, but if there was more of a match to it as opposed to you know a two minute squash, um, you know maybe that could have squeaked in at number one. But yeah, the significance of CM Punk coming back and then immediately calling out Darby Allen and you talk about like a storyline formulating. I mean. You, you said it a little bit. There could be something with the Battle of the Straight Edges, but he really is the type of guy who doesn't need a storyline. Um, he can just go out there. He can go. He can go fight. He can go entertain a crowd. And then with Brock Lesnar, you know, stop me if you've heard it before, but big match. Brock comes back after a big match. I almost would have liked to see like a a WrestleMania 30 thing where he just like inserts himself into the main event, just because well, he can do whatever he wants because he's Brock Lesnar. And and I'm gonna I didn't get to really talk too much about the other two, uh, mm -hmm. as far as Becky Lynch is concerned. Look, he's gonna be on. I'm oh, sorry, she's gonna be on SmackDown because Seth Seth is there and they have their family. And um, you know, the WWE doesn't mess with family. If you're if you're a husband and wife and you're traveling together, yeah, you go to you go together on the road. So I look I you the debate's always gonna be. I think the bigger story of not only Becky Lynch coming out is the disappearance of Sasha Banks, 
I'm wondering now if Sasha's going to disappear for another six months to go find herself, go film the Mandalorian some more, and if finally WWE just say enough of this girl's attitude and let's just cut her. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think Sasha's been playing this this game a little too long now with them. And uh, I just think, you know, that that's a story that I think it's going to develop more in the next couple of weeks. With Brock and Roman, uh, I have two thoughts on this. One, if they're going to hype up the Brock and Roman thing, obviously the Heyman thing is going to be a big part of the story. But they, the one thing that's going to get me annoyed more than anything is if they disc, discount the fact that Roman has beaten Brock before. If they build it as Brock has never, you know, has never lost to Roman, then they're going to that's then they're they're poking holes in their own storyline, just like we all said when Roman came out on Friday and said if he doesn't beat Cena, he's going to quit. Okay, mm -hmm. you're giving something away. The simple fact of the matter is Roman has beaten Brock before, so the feature the the main feature of the story should be Heyman on what side he's going to go with. Now yeah. Heyman Heyman is a smart guy. Hart, Heyman's got the best mind in the business. He might be the only one who'd be able to pull off screwing Roman Reigns over and turning Roman face and making it work by having Paulie double cross him and going back to Brock. This is the only way I think Roman can get any sympathy out of the situation. Because I mean, yeah. that's where WWE, WWE is really hoping that they can push his heel character to 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 make it so hot that it's going to crawl over into babyface territory, like Austin and Rock and Cena has done in the past. That's what I think they're really hoping to do. But my other thought with this is, you're totally disrespecting John Cena in this whole entire situation. A guy who's carried your company for the last 15 years, and you're disrespecting him by sort of throwing him to Roman first, and then throwing guys like Brock Lesnar. At him afterwards. If John, C if you're saying that John Cena is the greatest star of all time, why is he the first one to go down to Roman, not the last one to go down? So that's something that I that really, really, really bothered me when I saw Brock coming. I think also it, it had to do a little bit with Cena's scheduling as well. Yeah, I of think course. WWE knew when he came back that he had uh, they only had a limited time with him, so they figured why not just pump him into Roman now, make Roman look bigger. They knew they had Brock coming back. Um, but I understand what you're saying. Why throw Cena to Reigns right now? It was yeah. look they they had to build up Reigns, and I think WWE if they're going to be disingenuous with saying that Brock has or I'm sorry Roman's never beaten Brock, it doesn't seem like they're going to go that route. Um, the announcers never kind of acknowledged any competition differences, you know when um when he came back, and I, I'd be interested, you know a couple years from now um, when this all plays out to hear how much um, creative control Paul Heyman had with, with, with this storyline. Cause I'm sure if there's anybody, like you said, who can do this properly, it's going to be Paul Heyman. So this is, you know, just going to have to see how it plays out. Should be fun. Yeah. I, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Question absolutely. number two. Yeah. Let's go for it. Let's hear it. Okay. Better ice cream bar. CM Punk's Pretty Cool Ice Cream Bar or Stone Cold's Ice Cream Truck Bar from the early 2000s? Hmm. Wow. Yeah, you know, if anybody's got a take on this, let me hear it. I assume, you know, neither of you guys have had uh, CM Punk's Ice Cream Bar, so this is kind of a, a bit of a free-for-all. 
I think, uh, I think, listen, the ice cream bar thing was awesome. I think that CM Punk yeah. did that. I think CM Punk did that to, to rub his nose and to rub their nose in it a little bit. Uh, and he footed the bill for that too. He reached out to the company and it was a Chicago local company and he, he paid for everything. Yeah. I, look, I think I, I, I know we're joking around about this and I think it's a, it's a funny, it's a funny little topic, but I, I, I think that if you have the right people who have the right idea for merchandising for anything, it can work. And mm-hmm. this was just a little thing of CM Funk sitting there saying, I'm going to do an ice cream bar. Just like, you know, this like this. I don't know if I'm going to diverse and just and share a CM Punk story that I heard, which I know for a fact was when he was WWE champion back in 2011. And I've heard this on multiple different podcasts. So I know. And when, when the story is the same way each time, there's truth to it. Um, he was being pursued by the video game company to be the cover of WWE 13. They did not want uh, the WWE did not want him on WWE 13. They were put, they were like they're like we want CM Punk and they're like no you don't <laughs> you you want Sheamus on the cover and with people that know and now it, it, it came public knowledge later Paul Heyman was the one who wrote the video game out for for that was THQ at the time because that was when they did the Attitude Era in WWE 2K13 mm-hmm. so. Paul Heyman shared those emails with CM Punk saying, Hey, look, these guys don't want you on the cover of the video game. The video game company wanted them. I think if you have any product with the right public figure on it, it's going to be successful. If a company wants CM Punk to do it, the company's going to put millions of dollars behind it. CM Punk wanted ice cream bars. He put his own money behind it. And now it might be something that AEW can go market, just like New Day with cereal, New Day yeah. with pancakes. They might have CM Punk ice cream bars, AEW ice cream bars in the, uh, the thing because of CM Punk doing this. That's my answer to it. JD, thoughts, questions, comments, concerns? <laughs> I mean, ultimately with the the ice cream bar thing. Yeah, I think I think CM Punk definitely wins on that one. Um, I mean, obviously, you're looking at, you know, a PG-centric or maybe like a TV-14-centric. So it's not like he could say, oh, hey, I'm launching this beer. Uh, first round's on me. It's not like mm-hmm. Austin could have gone out there with his uh, Broken Skull IPA and, yeah. you know, just had like an anchor truck full of it and this, you know, for everybody a, a keg here so uh you know it's definitely a very good marketing ploy for him but you know if it's his transitionary or his his myocopa if you will for leaving everybody for seven years with whatever sports mm-hmm. entertainment was until it was more you know his way to transition back in if that's what he has to get people really onto his side even though, again, it was Chicago, there was no way he wasn't going to get the reaction he wanted to. Yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. It's you know, it was it was it was perfect. Like if he was going to debut in New York, I still I still think he would have gotten the 
pop that he wanted to, um, but mm-hmm. ne- not nearly as much as what it was in Chicago. So yeah, I mean, Chicago, was, he was a hero. It was, you know, yeah, absolutely. I mean, even if you look at, you know, his run where he left with the title and, you know, putting it in his refrigerator and taking a picture, like that's some ridiculous stuff, but it wouldn't have worked anywhere else other than mm-hmm. Chicago. So, you know, it, yeah, no, absolutely. It's him. Um, again, Attitude Era, I think people would have went with Austin just because everybody related to that guy that yeah. was so fed up with his boss or they just wanted to, you know, kick the crap out of him at some point in time. And, you know, he was that kind of over. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm not trying to draw any kind of parallel, but there aren't too many people in the business as of right now that have the star power that punk has even being gone as long as he has. I mean, he's still been relevant. He is, you know, very active on Twitter. And for the most part, you know, he's a very likable guy. You know, he's very truthful and he's unapologetic about it. So he's gaining that many more people that will read his content and be like, Oh, okay. He's another, he's just a regular dude. How can't I not like this guy? He's he's very authentic, you know, with his work, the way he speaks, his mannerisms. He's he's pure, you know, like what you see is is what you get with him. And to to make one parallel, uh, I'll say maybe this is a stretch, but CM Punk is the straight edge version of Stone Cold Steve Austin. Two guys hate their boss, won't take crap from anybody. I mean, if (laughs) CM Punk could come out, you know, I mean – the angle with Chris Jericho where Jericho was like spraying him with liquor and beer. If CM Punk could come out and, you know, spray uh, his boss or the people he's feuding with, with whatever CM Punk would want to do, like angle with the milk truck or stone cold with the beer truck. I mean, he would do it just cause he's, you know, he's got that, uh, he's, he's that anti-hero. Everybody hates that they love or everyone loves to hate him. He's the, he's the ultimate anti-hero. It's, it's like growing up, you rooted for the Batman. You know, and then you kind of step back and you're like, wait a minute. The Joker was just trying to, like, kill corruption and, and show, you know, how corrupt this system is. But we're rooting for the billionaire trust fund right now. That's kind of what CM Punk is. A little bit of the straight edge version of Stone Cold. Maybe that's a stretch, but that's the parallel I drew with this. Okay. I'll go I like it. it. Too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's something to work with there. All right. Question number three. This uh, one, yeah, number two, that was, you know, that was, uh, that was a stretch. I'll admit it. Question number three, a little bit more cut and dry. What was your favorite SummerSlam match of the weekend? Hmm. Okay. Well, I watched Roman and John because I just felt like I needed to, um, it had Did anybody of, else feel it was underwhelming? Raise your it, hand. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go – I'm more wishing it would have been – the question would have been what was the most enjoyable match of the weekend. Okay, um, we can we can rephrase that. What was the most enjoyable match of the weekend? <laughs> it, it, pays to be, the, yeah. it pays to be one of the executive producers of the show. I'll, I'll work with you on it, Randy. Uh, you know what it is? For me, 
you know, you look at what the NXT product is doing. You even look at the type of matches that AEW is putting on their Rampage show. And um, I, 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 for me, WWE's product has been very difficult to endure for the last couple of years. NXT has been very, very good. I think that there's a lot of guys, um, they underutilize uh, both in NXT and on the main roster. And, you know, I take a guy like Samoa Joe, who mm-hmm. we all, who I thought back in 2017 was finally going to get that little push to the top when he was fighting Brock Lesnar. I'm sitting there saying to myself, man, Brock and Samoa Joe, that's going to be great. Yeah. And, you know, watching Joe go back to NXT, he didn't have a, a five-star classic with Karrion Cross, but it was still... It, interesting to watch that caught my attention nxt usually catches my attention and with that being said even though i i'm not saying it was joe and carrying cross as my match because i think uh alex riley and uh sorry actually not alex riley, uh, uh kyle o'reilly and adam cole is Two definitely my yeah like yeah. Uh, the, you put two great workers in there they're gonna they're gonna tear the house down and they did but I also think there's something about a guy like Samoa Joe who's been able to um, – I'll make that my runner-up match. Uh, but I think this the situation with Cole and O'Reilly and the Undisputed Era, what it was and where 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 it's going and now Cole's future, where he's going to end up, very, very – had me more on the edge of my seat than anything from Saturday night. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the NXT does have a way of kind of showing up <laughs> WWE pay-per-views when there's a takeover. <laughs> I think that's why it's interesting. I, I think maybe it would have been better if it stayed Saturday. It's interesting they swapped it to Sunday because it they they no. it, it, it did kind of upstage no. I think no. SummerSlam a little bit. No, because for the last four or five the last four or five years. Vince would be like, ha ha, we had a great show. And in this situation, Vince was like, ha ha, we had a great show. Triple H went, hold my beer. Yeah, do ex- exactly. Exactly. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly how he did I mean, it. I don't think Vince, can Vince McMahon be upset that NXT put on a great show? Yes. Maybe he maybe he can find a way to be mad at that. But, you yeah, know, yes, if I'm no, the head absolutely. of like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Vince, there's, there's a reason why Vince and Nick Khan are like, we don't want to bring any more independent guys and guys who are in other organizations to NXT and showing up our own guys because, you know, this is, you know, we want to build the future, but now we're taking other people's guys and doing this and that. Look, the, the success rate that guys have had going from NXT to the main roster, with the exception of a couple, has not been very, very good. Yeah, it's been, mediocre. It's been, it's like, look, you can go down the list of guys who are in NXT who are not even with the company anymore. Yeah. So, you know, it's JD. It's, I want to. Uh, sorry to cut you off there, Rand. If no, you want to go for it, go for it. Yeah. No, no, I'm, 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 I'm done. I'm just. It's, it's just a, a, a point of. They're saying they don't want to bring in independent guys anymore, or bringing guys from other organizations. Yeah. If it had been NXT, but those are the guys who are going to help the younger people get over anyway. So mm-hmm. that's that's a typical Vince McMahon Nick Khan decision. Yeah. And, and Triple H is sitting there going, "Can I go to AEW?" <laughs> I mean, JD, you you said it actually when we were just kind of talking before we started recording. You said like when Vince doesn't breed the man himself, he he doesn't push him as high. And like this prime example number one with a lot of these NXT guys that are coming up. 
No, you're, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's sad, but I mean, look how over um, Alistair Black was um, in NXT. I mean, he was he was the New Age Undertaker in mm-hmm. NXT. For all intents and purposes, he had that kind of just persona. He had the entrance. He had everything. And okay, yes, because of the content of some of his tattoos, he wouldn't be able to be used in Saudi Arabia. I mean, yes, okay, mm-hmm. you know, Vince signed off on some pretty sketchy things with that. I mean, that's definitely out there. Everybody knows about that already. I will deep dive into that. Um, but you know, it's it, it it's sad that you know with the creative control that was in NXT that the writers on top of Vince having to have the final say in everything, it just doesn't translate over. And at some point in time, either the old man is going to retire or they'll sell the company before I feel like Steph and uh, Paul will take over the reins and then have a different idea of where to go with the company and how to keep things fresh so that they are a little bit current. Um, you know, it's not to say that Vince's ideas weren't relevant in like the eighties when he was amassing all of his talent from the territories. Um, but you just had so much wealth of talent and just characters at that time that he didn't need to try as hard to make something like he could just polish something or tweak it a little bit or it's not necessarily, Oh, we're going to throw a mask on him and he'll be over. It wasn't anything mm-hmm. like that. Um, you know, you, you can't imagine like Roddy Piper under a mask or something stupid like that. It's like yeah. when Hogan was under the mask, you know, come on. If, it, if it's books, right. I can buy anything. You know, I mean, yeah. like, I hate this. I mean, like, I was just reading about Kane and the decision for him to unmask himself and the way that oh. that went down. And um, Vince didn't want to do it at first because it was going to ruin his whole persona. But they eventually mm-hmm. found a way. And like before he even unmasked himself, they cut down um, material so you could see his 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 mouth and his face, and that also helped him breathe a little bit better too. Because in the when he debuted in the late nineties, he had the full mask and he couldn't breathe very well did you see um on the wwe hidden treasure show they found the original cane mask wow and they were were talking and he said um he said like it was very the the whole process with the mask was so difficult Mm -hmm. and then when when they and bruce pritchard even said when he i'm referencing him a lot on our show today i don't know why but um (laughs) where where when he was explaining the cane like unmasking they said what are we gonna do and like glenn jacobs cut his hair because for the longest time his mm-hmm. hair was actually that long yeah and then they cut his hair to, to like right. and you saw you saw like the little curls and everything and then the following week they, they gave it two weeks with him having a little bit of hair and then they just said ah you're just go bald and that's what he ended up doing at that mm-hmm. point we got a little off topic jd to Sorry. get back to it no this just, is, just a tick yeah, yeah sorry yeah this is, <laughs> this is a podcast if we're not ranting what are we really doing um what was your favorite moment of the weekend so uh for me it was a little bit biased because um yeah the nxt product most definitely i've been following 
doing that uh, in the WWE realm more than anything. And I've been really watching a lot of the WWE and uh, the NXT UK stuff. So um, to see Walter and Dragunov have their rematch, I mean, the first match, if you haven't seen it, like that was just an amazing, amazing match. Um, Mm -hmm. And it really brought a lot more attention to that show. Um, just because that style, um, well, those two performers in particular, they have a style that is unique to that show. It's not the British world of sport, you know, having a counter for every hold and such. It was very physical. It was very, you know, Bruiser Brody-esque, uh, just no hold barred kind of deal. It was, it, it was very stiff, I guess is the correct word. Yeah. Um, so to have that attention, then to be, you know, have that on um, in the U.S. Definitely more eyeballs saw it. Um, so yeah, I feel like it needed to be seen, and I think it was the right time to get the belt off of Walter. Um, not that I don't think Walter was great as as a champion, but I think that. As a performer, Walter doesn't need the belt. He's that good that he's not hes not bringing anything to the belt. He might bring legitimacy to it, to whoever else holds it, but he doesn't need it in order to uh, really make it go. So transitioning it to Dragunov <clears throat> so that other people can potentially hold it, I think it was a great move. Um, it'll be interesting to see if... Um, Paul actually has Walter come over stateside to do work with the rest of Imperium. Um, mm-hmm. Because I really feel like as a stable, I think that they can really do a lot of damage against some of the other ones that are there. Um, and again, just to have more eyeballs on that particular performer and what he can bring just to the overall content of uh, the black and gold brand. Uh, you know, so yeah, I thought that was probably the standout match for me. Um, definitely some intrigue uh, with uh, Colin O'Reilly. They have a great feud. Um, I hope that, that regardless of whatever happens uh, with Cole, I hope that O'Reilly keeps the momentum and that they actually do something with him. Um, <clears throat> I don't foresee him being on the main roster as of right now. I feel like they're going to try to get some kind of belt on him other than a tag belt. I mean, especially because of Bobby Fish not being there. Um, so we'll see. Um, but, yeah, that, that would be my one-two. Um, as far as just the SummerSlam ideas, I think it's an interesting idea of what they're doing with um, Randy Orton and uh, his, <laughs> his younger partner. I, I, I think yeah, it's little. definitely – a way to really lighten up Randy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Riddle, Riddle's a There's, great guy as far as talent level, but like, uh, I, you know, he's reached, they're reaching out to a younger audience with his style. Mm-hmm. And I mean, a lot of that audience is also very into that whole UFC idea. Yeah. It's a, like this hybrid strong style. Yeah, there's yeah. something about so, I mean Matt that was Riddle. that was a little bit of a highlight. Mm-hmm. There's something about Matt Riddle. I I don't know 
why I hate I well hate's a strong word. I don't know why I dislike him, but I don't I don't like him, but I don't hate him. He's just in this this middle zone. But him and Randy did put on you know a really good a really good tag team match. And you know, at the end of the day, like if you if you can put on an entertaining match, like that's cool. Like I don't need you to kill it on the mic with a promo. If you can if you can if you can back it up in the ring for me, that's you've got my seal a little bit. But yeah, something with Matt Riddle though. Still still kind of finding if I like him or not. Don't know why. No, that's um, fair. Yeah. But he's entertaining. I mean, for me with with SummerSlam and then somehow it, this always this always happens with like at least two or three pay-per-views a year with WWE where they book a really really strong women's title match. And Nikki Ash, Rhea Ripley and Charlotte Flair destroyed the place i actually thought that was one of the best matches of the card for me i did not think nikki ash could hang the way that she did and still seeing charlotte flair do like a quadruple corkscrew off the top rope blows my mind every time i see it and it seems like the way that she elevates her performances in and even nikki and Rhea, and, and Rhea too to meet the magnitude of the match and of the stage um yeah women's triple threat match um, whether it's the three of them or Shasha Banks and Bailey and Charlotte at WrestleMania a couple years ago. Um, and then even uh, the Mania match with Ronda Rousey and who was it? Ba- not Bailey, uh, Charlotte Flair and Becky. Becky, yeah, when Becky, yeah, Becky won. Um, yeah, that was still a phenomenal match too. And like something about the women's division where if you can put you know the right talent together they can have some of the best matches of the night and completely outshine um, the men in the company. And that was prime example, you know, for me right there. I think what hurt the triple threat match with Becky, Charlotte and Rhonda was it was at like one o'clock in the morning and the crowd was just like, yeah, it was like, like midnight and the mag, like the magnitude of the moment, you know, it didn't quite click <laughs> with the crowd. Like they were already a little dead because, um, you know, they got, it's a shame that they headlined mania, but like the, the, the big part of that show was Kofi winning the title, you know? Yeah. Not they, to, they were drained. Yeah, they were drained yeah, at that point. Not to take anything away from the women headlining, but it was just kind of like they got they got shafted a little bit with the booking of that show because not that they shouldn't have headlined Mania. I think they really absolutely should have headlined Mania, but that should have been the absolute and complete focus. And maybe, you know, they should have went on before uh, Kingston. Um Kofi Kingston, and um, no, they they said ahead of time they were, the the girls were going to make yeah the they were going to close down, and, but, and, the pro- and the other problem they had with that too was eventually the finish. It didn't it didn't help Becky at Ronda. Like I remember watching it with JD, and we looked at each other. We're like, that was a little bit of a weak ending, wasn't it? It, it yeah. was. It felt a little. It felt a little watered down. It felt a little forced. Yeah. Like there was. It didn't build up to anything. It just kind of happened, and you're like, oh. Well, she tapped out. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, <laughs> there's no other way to really say it. But this this part of the program, uh, no disqualifications, will become a weekly uh, segment on here on the cut. We thank uh, JD Maori for joining us for that. Uh, Andrew Fumio, our great producer, thank you for that. We're going to take a two minute break, and we're going to be right back here with Mike Quackenbush. For you fans of independent wrestling who know Mike, he is the trainer of Eddie Kingston. He's trained Cesaro. 
He has trained some of the uh, he's trained Orange Cassidy. He's trained some of the best in the business, and he's right here on the cut momentarily. So stay tuned, check it out, and we'll be back after Mike Quackenbush. We're back here on the Cut for Wrestling podcast, special interview time, and it is my honor and privilege. Man, this this next guest I've been reading for years and years. Uh, at one point, was the man. I don't. I feel like if I do it this way, it's almost like insulting to you. But like he was the labeled as the future of professional wrestling. He became one of the best trainers in the business uh, and known around the world. His name is Mike Wackenbush, and he's here on the Cut for Wrestling podcast. Mike, how you doing today, buddy? I'm doing great. Randy, how are you? I, I'm doing great, man. And I really appreciate you giving me some time today. And man, <laughs> it's like, I know we only put, a, put aside a certain amount of time, but I feel like you and I could probably have a six-part interview if we were discussing your career and your accomplishments and the great things that you've done in this business. Well, thank uh, you. And incl- including opening a lot of doors for um, a lot of great talent that's, that's uh, striving today. But where did you get your start in professional wrestling? Do you remember when you developed the love for the business and also when you first started training what age were you and where did you go to start yeah i remember very vividly it's um gotta be 1990 or 91 i was flipping channels one night and tbs was on and they were showing an episode of wcw saturday night oh, I remember those days. <laughs> I, right like oh uh 605 on the superstation so uh i remember at the time thinking oh i think pro wrestling is, is predominantly for bodybuilders and the wwf if you think of who their top guys were, boy, they sure looked like bodybuilders. Their physiques were super impressive. Then I saw Jushin Thunder Liger. He was, I think, in a little tag team match on Saturday night, flying all around the ring. He was graceful. He looked like a superhero when he came to the ring with his cape on, his crazy mask. And when I could see the connection between wrestling and superheroes, it just captured my imagination. And then it proceeded to corrupt the rest of my life. That's what I've been doing ever since. <laughs> that was when he was shooting with Brian Pillman, too, right? That was yes, that that's it. Yeah, I remember that time, man. Like, that, that right there, I'm showing my age when I can remember that. <laughs> was, him, and, him and Pillman had some unbelievable matches, that which mm-hmm. culminated in Super Bowl back in 92 and Super Bowl two. Yes. Yeah, yeah, your memory is, is spot on. That match holds up today. That Super Brawl 2 title switch between Pillman and Liger, mm, it's a masterpiece. Yes, definitely was. And, and, and it said also set the bar for American lightweight wrestling at the time. Yeah, it really did change it. You, you would not have gotten the one, two, three kid if Pillman and Liger had not started to change the landscape. And I think the one, two, three kid is what inspired a generation of guys that came in with me to think, I should try this. I could do this. And how old were you around that time? Um, I guess I was 14 or 15 years old when it really like sunk its teeth into me. And uh, yeah, yeah, I just thought it, it takes over your life, right? It becomes everything you want to read about. You want to talk to other people about it. You have that really obsessive fandom because I'm sure you went through this. I'm sure a lot of your listeners did. When you're uh, a wrestling fan and it is not acceptable in the mainstream, which I think 
maybe at the height of the NWO was when it was cool to be wearing wrestling gear out in public, right? And you could get away with an Austin 316 shirt. But on either side of that equation, no, it was deeply unpopular to be a wrestling fan. So if you found somebody who you could talk to about it or bought the magazines or watched the same shows, you just wanted to chat them up about everything. Yeah, no, you're 100% correct. And I felt like during that 93 to the mid 96 point until the NWO got big, Mm-hmm. I felt like wrestling was sort of like in that low point because yeah. Vince Vince wasn't developed. Vince was looking for that next big hit, which I don't think he got until Austin. Mm-hmm. And WCW was bringing in all the WWE guys. Yeah. So that, that people were sort of sick of at the time playing those particular characters. Like Hogan was still putting the cup to the, the cup to the ear and Savage was still wearing his Slim Jim outfits. And, mm-hmm. and then the NWO sort of changed the game a little bit. Yeah, they really, for a little while, WCW was such a great buffet in that they could provide you with a little bit of the nostalgia, right? Here are these dudes I loved in the 80s, but they've been freshened up. They got a new coat of paint on them, right? Heel Hulk Hogan is not at all what Hulkamania era Hogan is about. And then you also had that influx of international talent. The cruiserweights are kind of being redefined by Rey Mysterio Jr. and the Luchadors. And there was like a little something for every. Okay, so... Yeah, so you said like WCW had a little bit of everything between mm-hmm. the, between the, the luchadors, the cruiserweight division. And around that time, around that 97, 98, 99 time frame, um, and I know we sort of skipped the part where you got into your training. Where, oh, so, so before we jump into there, where did you start your training? Uh, who, who started training you? So, you know, that part of my story is really quite strange. It's a little unorthodox in that For the first three years I'm active, I don't have a trainer. I've literally snuck in the back door. Um, I'm the kid who's sweeping out the ring before the shows. I'm the kid that is setting up the chairs around the ring. And eventually, the promoter came to me one day and said, hey, look, I just got a phone call. Somebody's not going to make the card. Do you have gear? And of course... That's what I've been waiting for for months and months and months and months. I was like, oh, let me go to my Honda Accord right now, and I'll be back in about 30 seconds. <laughs> and that was it. I was just in. But uh, I, in the beginning, I know how strange this sounds. I was so aware of the fact that I was faking it. I, ha- I didn't have training. I was making it up as I was going along, and I was just mimicking what I saw others doing and got away with it until I met Ace Darling, um, who was a New Jersey wow, uh, journeyman. Yeah. Right. Team with Devin Storm for a long yes, time. Yes, exactly. That's yeah. right. Uh, and Ace was kind of the guy who said to me, hey, look, you look like you have a certain amount of potential and enthusiasm for this, but you really don't know what you're doing, do you? And I was like, no, <laughs> sir, I do not. Uh, and he said, look, just stick with me. You know, anytime, you know, what you're doing is not quite right. I'm going to help course correct for you. And he just took me under his wing and, and, and probably more than once saved me from getting my butt kicked and pu- pulled me out of trouble. And that's good to have a mentor like that. It definitely mm-hmm. is. And and so, do, what do you remember from like your first couple bumps? Was it was it was it what was it what you thought it would be? I think in the beginning, because uh, I, I wrestled my first match maybe two weeks before I graduated high school. So I'm 18 years old. My body is at its most resilient. All the things that that now, like I make grumpy old man sound every time I do one of these in the <laughs> ring. Back then, I just couldn't wait to do it again. Oh, what's that? You need to slam me off the top rope like every Ric Flair match? Please, can I take another one of those? I was so eager. Um, it, didn't, it didn't matter to me. I was like a, a kid at a carnival. 
So when you started getting going and you started gaining a little bit of uh, notoriety, because we were talking before uh, when we went on the air about the the press that you got from the from the uh, pro wrestling magazines and stuff, how did you handle um, that type of schedule? Because I know at that point you were getting a lot of attention. You were mm-hmm. you were getting booked. You were having these great opportunities. Um, it was like you were sort of like the 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 best kept secret that wasn't on WCW and WWTV or ECW at that time. Well, thank you. Yeah. And you know, we did have a couple opportunities come down the pike. So for a while I was teaming with reckless youth, we would Mm -hmm. often tag together and we had an offer come our way from ECW toward the end of the nineties and uh, reckless youth, his real name is Tom Carter. He went in and even did a weekend with them. He did two shows. He might've wrestled a singles against supernova and then, can't remember what the other one was, but he came back and said, hey, look, they are interested in us, but I want you to know the locker room culture there is not the kind of lifestyle you and I lead. Um, and we may not be a good fit there. Like we are likely to be complete outsiders because we don't party the way those guys party. Um, this may not be the right move for us. And so we didn't, we didn't end up taking it. Similarly, we had a, a little thing from WCW come our way. They said, would you be willing to relocate to Atlanta, Georgia? We're hiring eight new cruiserweights. And in that hiring spree, they got, that's AJ Styles' first contract is wow. when that happens. Air Paris, if anybody remembers that name. Um, Jet Jaguar out of Florida. These guys, they all ended up being with WCW for maybe eight weeks. Then the management changed. They all got released. All these guys had moved to Atlanta and then just got, no, just go back home, you know, buy your old house back and <laughs> move back to where you were from. So thank goodness we didn't take that deal. But it, at that moment, it really felt like, oh, I am on the cusp of something. If I want to move up to the corporate level and play on television, I'm close to that. But um, I think overall that, that was kind of like short-lived for me at, at the end of the 90s. And a lot of it was predicated on the fact that Pro Wrestling Illustrated, The Wrestler, Inside Wrestling, not only would they publish my columns and articles there, but they presented me, like you said, they really tried to push me as hard as possible because I think they would have loved to have been able to say, he's our success story. Do you think that hurt you in a little bit? Because Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Before I can even finish the question, you're like, oh, yeah. No, that hurt me. I was like, yeah, it's because one of the things I always say on the show, I've been saying it for 30 plus episodes, is it's all about, presentation is everything. It's all about how things are presented. If you're, you know, you basically just, if you you come in like you're a star and they present you in a certain situation, that's how you're going to be treated. Like, Mm -hmm. I I always say, I'm going to go back to, I'm going to show my old school presence. Terry Taylor came to the WWE instead of mm. being treated like a, like he's a, a serious wrestler, they put half his hair red and he was a red rooster. Uh-huh. And, and Michael Wall Street or Michael Rotundo is always labeled with IRS. Yeah. That's how people remind, you know, those are legendary gimmicks, but because of those things, that's what he was satellites. He Slater and Santino Morella always, they were presented as comedy acts. So when they try to go do something serious, people don't look at them like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, I, so I, that's not saying that you were, you know, made to be like a hockey player and put, you know, hockey puck, you know, hockey skates on and go to the ring, like pretend to be a hockey player. Sorry, Bill Lauren. But, you know, like I, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I, 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 I'm saying that maybe because 
PWI and these independent wrestling magazines were pushing you so hard. You know, th- it was WWE and WCW were sitting there going, yeah, no. Sure. And I think I really didn't have an understanding of the, um, the cosmetic component. I had okay. so many people along the way say, don't you think you could put 20 pounds of muscle on? Don't you think you could look more like a bodybuilder? Couldn't you take these supplements or these other things and get a better looking body for yourself because you got everything else going on for you. You just don't have a TV look. And I don't know if it was my naivete or my stubbornness or my out and out stupidity, but I just thought, I don't know that that's what I want to do. And as arrogant as this will sound, I really thought I want to make it on my skill. I don't want to make it because I'm a gym rat. And looking back now, here I am 28 years deep into a career. um, I can see how many opportunities People were basically saying to me in hindsight, if you could just put on 20 pounds of muscle, there's a contract waiting for you at this company. Can you do that? And um, like I said, I was too stubborn or too dumb to take the cue. So there was, there's that part of it. But the flip side as well, which was many times I would have angry wrestlers coming up to me saying, what are you doing? Right? Who are you sleeping with? Who are you bribing? How is it that you're getting all this press in the magazines. I can't buy one line of ink in Pro Wrestling Illustrated, and you're in that magazine every month. And of course, the answer was, I worked for them, um, <laughs> right? Like I get paid monthly to write for them. I'm in their offices. We all go out to lunch together. I'm just top of mind because I'm in the right place at the right time. But it's, it's funny you just said that too, because it's like, <clears throat> it's like yeah, you want to know why I'm doing so well? Yeah, I'm getting a paycheck from them. I'm showing up and working for them. And that <laughs> always helps. Right. No, no, that, that helps. But, but like, if you look past that too, and like what you're saying now, like your reasoning for not doing what you did is the right reason. And obviously today's wrestling landscape is a lot different than what it was mm-hmm. at that point in time. So where, you know, being able, when WCW went out of business and ECW folded, mm. it left a very large void. Uh, in the wrestling industry. Yeah, you know, Jeff Jarrett started NWA, uh, Total Nonstop Action. Yep. And, and that was a beginning of something and they went on a nice little run. But the business never had a boom like it really has right now. So before the big boom that we have right now, with WWE was the only show in town, did you find it hard as an independent town to still find a way to get your name out there? Um, to be sure. And part of it was the kind of career redirect I went through at the end of 2001 going into 2002. So obviously, you know your history, right? You just called it out. ECW and WCW disappear, and it changes the wrestling landscape in an irrevocable way. And at that time, my longtime tag partner and traveling mate, Reckless Youth, had just come back from being in developmental with WWF. He'd spent a full year, maybe even 15 months with them, and then washed back to the independents and basically said, I've seen their system from the inside. I've seen how the sausage is made, essentially. I don't want to do that. It feels uninspired. It feels almost soulless. Let's go make something that's fun, something that makes us love wrestling, that we enjoy, that has the weird ingredients in it that we want to put into it. And that's where the Wrestle Factory came from. And through the course of us just brainstorming over six months, we went from having a couple ideas over dinner at a restaurant somewhere to we're incorporating together and renting out a building and buying a ring and saying, Hey, we're ready to train people and opening up the doors. So that's not to say that I stopped performing, but 
suddenly a huge part of my life in wrestling became I'm going to start getting the next generation ready, even though at that point, I myself had only been in eight, eight nine years, something like that. But plus, you know, as a performer, I have to ask this question because, again, keep in mind, I'm a 5'10", 5'11 guy. Again, as we talked about on media, and I've never been in the ring, never taken a bump. Um, always have that dream of being a rock star type of mentality, but I never really done what you did where you've traveled across the world to perform. My question for there would be, you know, you tried, you did travel across the world to perform. What was it like going to Japan? What was it like going to some of these other places? And because as a teacher, you would definitely have to get these kids mentally ready for all the different type of environments that they can perform in. What experiences, what were some of your favorite experiences as a performer and what advice have, were you giving some of the younger people that you were getting ready to train? That's a lo very long-winded question. I apologize. <laughs> no, we're going to get it. We're going to get it all, Randy. Um, <laughs> so, getting to travel to other places, the first time that I toured Europe or the first time that I did Mexico or Japan especially, it was very validating. I felt like I am making it here not because I look like a bodybuilder or not because I politicked my way here. I'm making it here because they're hiring me on the basis of my talent. And that validation, it stays with me to this day. Along the way, I got to make so many great friends. Like the very first time I ever went to Europe, I flew into Zurich, Switzerland, and I was going to be teaching there for a week and then wrestling the following weekend. And this skinny little Swiss kid named Claudio Castagnoli is standing there waiting to pick me up at the airport saying, I'm your driver this week. Where are we off to? Right. Like he's going to be in my class in Zurich. Um, that's a friendship that endures to this day. So uh, I feel very lucky that I got to have the experiences that I did. And when the, when the call comes to go out and do that kind of stuff, like even now, you know, if, whether we're doing Zoom sessions for a school that's in Australia or, or in the UK, even if I'm visiting only through the magic of virtual, the virtual internet world, um, I've never lost my love of that. Coming back from all these tours, something I really wanted to impart to all my trainees was how important it is for us when we go out to not be that stereotypical, ugly American that people in other countries, they have stereotypes of us. In the same way, right, Americans, we believe certain stereotypes about people from other countries. People from over here, they're going to be, they're like this. They're, the French are rude, right? Like we've all heard this, the French are rude. We do have these weird stereotypes that we're grown up with, and they believe a lot of that about us. Right. They think all Americans are fat, lazy, and we love our guns. And sometimes you got to go over there and just kind of show them like, hey, I'm just a person like you. I'm just an, I'm just a normal person. I'm not this stereotype. And you got to handle yourself with some class and dignity when you travel. I just want to apologize now. If, uh, I did fit some of those characteristics up until the gunpoint. So <laughs> I like to apologize. I like to apologize to the American public. <laughs> I'm the face of America. Sorry, America. <laughs> and all of our French listeners today, I'm very sorry. We believe yeah. you to be rude. Yeah. Yes, I, I like to apologize across the across the world. <laughs> Red Heart, you were right. Okay, mm -hmm. that's all yeah. right. Uh, <laughs> so you know, and, and it's funny too because you know your experiences, and you know, I want to dive into the training aspect you know that like did you feel a part of validation when you're putting your name out there saying you're you're teaching um this great passion that you have uh that people were like well you know what this is this is the guy who's going to teach me you know we believe in you what 
How did that feel for you? Did you feel validation at that point? In the first few years, no. I think I was so scared of everything because I didn't feel like I was a good coach in the first few years of the Wrestle Factory, even though that's when a lot of some of our most recognizable trainees are there. The guy, if you, Orange Cassidy, Eddie Kingston, Drew Gulak, Bryce Remsburg, Claudio, these types of people are training there. I, I was racked with imposter syndrome. I just felt like I'm not good enough to be coaching these people. I'm doing my best, but you know what? Like, am I really a coach? I, I've only been doing this now 10 or 11 years at that point. Am I really qualified to be teaching these people? So in the early years, no, I, I, I had such a dreadful case of imposter syndrome. I couldn't really find it validating. But after a couple of my classes graduated and they got out there and other promoters would reach out to me and say, this guy you trained, he's outstanding. We just had a carload of your kids here and they handled themselves like real pros. When that feedback came in from other promoters, uh, I was a very proud papa. <laughs> and that, that list of names that you just gave are, uh, it's like the who's who of today's professional wrestling. You know, Eddie Kingston, Cesaro, those guys, those guys are certainly having a run right now, to, mm -hmm. say, to say the least. Um, so you were, you know, you were running the Wrestle Factory for for a long time, and it recently closed. Uh, your name is, came up in the headlines a little bit mm -hmm. over uh, the last couple of years uh, between the with just different allegations. And I wanted to give you the floor because um, I know I know you addressed it once, but I wanted to give you the floor. And if there's anything else you wanted to, to add, and you know, reports that you said a couple of different things, I wanted to give you the floor and and, and see how you feel. After letting that breathe and also, you know, basically what happened from your perspective. Yes. Um, yeah, in short, right, like, I do know what's appropriate and what is not. And I said something back in 2011 or 12, not exactly sure when it was, but I know it was inappropriate. It was ignorant of me to say that. So, uh, of course, I had to apologize for that. Um, and that that's the easiest way to kind of sum it up. And it has had... A, a tremendous impact on what I do, but I just want to circle back to something you said there at the beginning. Uh, the Wrestle Factory continues to exist. Um, although I have stepped down as head trainer, and I don't intend to, to take that position back, um, there are still people training there all the time. Uh, a seminar I'm going to be doing in a month or so will be at the Wrestle Factory. So there are still people there. Uh, we persist. Have we had to change up how we've done things and make sure the mistakes of the past are never repeated? Oh, yeah, you bet. Um, we, we just can't ever afford to make those kinds of mistakes again. So we had to do some restructuring and move some things around and make sure we're moving forward as responsibly as possible because, um, we still have people that turn to us. There's still people saying, this is where I want to train in spite of it all, you know, uh, the events of last summer and so on and so forth. I've still got 20 trainees who say, this is where I want to be. This is the place I want to learn. Let's go. And I don't feel it's right to say to them, well, sorry, guys. Yeah. And for like, I thought you and I spoke about it too. You should never judge somebody for a bad couple moments of their life. You should look, look at the mistake they made and judge what they've done afterwards. I think that's always mm -hmm. the big thing. And, and, and my friend, you've done, you certainly have done uh, some great things in this industry and you've helped, like I said, train some of the best. So you just said Thank before, you. you know, you're going to be, you're welcome to do some more seminars. What, from, from a training aspect, what else would you like to accomplish? And are your days as a performer done at this point? 
Well, um, I certainly enjoy teaching. I, I love that. Uh, when I have the opportunity, especially to drill into the things I think of as my own specialities, of course, that's a real chance for me to shine. But I like to teach everything. When I go abroad, for example, if I do a week or two residency at another school, I'm doing something different every single day. I'm going to do the things that I feel I teach best. I'm going to do the stuff I know I have to do because you bring a coach in and that's what you expect. But I love it all. I, I'm very, very fortunate. Every time I get to stand up in front of a, of a group and teach, I feel very fortunate about that. And over the course of the last year, um, I've had two or three different opportunities to perform come my way. And I don't feel like the time is exactly right just yet. Um, I, I want to feel a certain kind of way about that and my relationship to the audience before I say, yeah, you know what? I am ready to step back in the ring and perform. But I also have this realization about being a guy who is my age, having wrestled several thousand matches and had pretty serious injuries along the way. I have to be more careful about what I do and don't do in the ring than ever before. Um, I have broken so many bones, um, had so many surgeries. I want to be able to do it when I enjoy it. Uh, and I want to be able to do it in service to whatever company is going to give me their ring and say, go out there for 10 or 15 or 20 minutes and do your thing. Um, but I, I am aware of the fact that I have to be very cautious, just as it relates to my own long-term health, because someone who understands their wrestling history as well as you do, Randy, and I'm sure some of your listeners as well know, as you start to get on in years, all those bumps, all those risks you take, yeah. they start to catch up to you really fast. I'm 41 years old and I don't even wrestle and I'm starting to feel aches and pains. So, <laughs> you never thought the media industry could be very taxing on your body. I say they're wrong. Um, <laughs> I want to uh, try something a little bit different with you. I'm going to shoot some uh, quick, some sh quick fire questions for you. Uh, they don't have to be one word answers, but I think you like a couple word answers, but I'm going to like do like a rapid fire with you. With All right, let's do it. Okay. Uh, favorite opponent. That's Claudio Castagnoli, the guy the world knows as Cesaro. Uh, first, uh, the, not the exact number, but for, how many people were in your in the audience for your first match? For my first match, uh, about eleven hundred. Your favorite all-time match you like to watch? My favorite all-time match is a ten-man tag that was held by Michinoku Pro, a small independent in Japan. It was on October tenth, nineteen ninety-six, and it is the semi-main event of their event these days. And it is 35 of the most wonderful minutes of wrestling ever made. Favorite wrestler growing up? My favorite, I think even before I knew I wanted to be a wrestler, was Jake the Snake Roberts. When he was on the screen, I was magnetized to him. But number one in my heart with a bullet will always be Jushin Liger. First time you had a fanboy moment with a wrestler? Uh, <laughs> so I was, I am unashamedly a fan of the tag team of high energy. That's right. Owen Hart and Coco beware. And I bumped into Coco beware, like right after high energy had ended. So he's got the crazy, like MC hammer style pants. Uh, and I, I couldn't even speak. I couldn't speak. I was like, there he is. That's one half of high energy. Couldn't even speak to him. Only thing that would made that funnier is like, oh my god, that's Coco Beware and Hogan walk by. That's the only thing that would made <laughs> <laughs> that would be the only thing that would have made that better. Uh, okay, um, if you had to recommend one match for people to watch that you're in to, to define your style, it would be. 
Well, the style that I do now, I would say there's a match you could find it on YouTube if you uh, search Mike Quackenbush versus Zack Sabre Jr., which I think is a great example of the style that I do now, which is a lot less acrobatic and flying than the stuff I did before uh, shattering my right leg in 2012. Um, so if you're looking for something that's a little more athletic and acrobatic, I suppose I should say, you could look up Mike Quackenbush versus Claudio Castagnoli from specifically the tournament called TPI 2006. And that match is, is just nine minutes and change. And I believe it's athletically, acrobatically, the best match I ever wrestled. Favorite all-time promotion between WWE, ECW, WCW, AEW, NJPW, TNA. Um, I, I, I'm going to draw a distinction here. And I'm curious if you feel this way about it too. I think WWF is practically a different company from what WWE is now. Yeah, I agree with that 110%. And I am a WWF fan. And I have a very hard time watching WWE. <laughs> if it's not one of my own kids on the screen, I, oh boy. Um, okay. And I'll, I'll, besides wrestling, what other sports do you watch? Uh, I really watch very little outside of the combat sport arena. Like I've become more interested in MMA, more interested in just straightforward martial arts, even trying to better understand sumo as an art form. All kinds of combat sports are intriguing to me. And, you know, the, the other ones, I got to admit, I, I think they're all a work, Randy. Uh, I totally agree with you. I, <laughs> I, 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 the UFC, bunch of phonies. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what are they doing uh, at the Olympics? Come on, the Philippines, get out of here. On. Come on, CM Punk had to lay down for who? Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, okay, and last one. Um, internet wrestling, good for business, bad for business? Um. I think I think it's both. I, I don't know that it's, it's necessarily one or the other. I believe, and I'm sure if you've seen anything I've done on my YouTube channel, which I'm going to plug quick, by the way, it's called Till We Make It. Um, I often talk about this era of wrestling as being the social media era of wrestling. It's not the territory era. It's not the cable TV era anymore. It's the social media era. If not for the power of social media, I don't think AEW would exist. You wouldn't have it. The Young Bucks would have never risen to prominence the way that they did. They would have never been able to flex their muscles with licensing stuff to Hot Topic and attracting the interest of a billionaire. Wrestling has changed in many ways thanks to the power of social media. And yet in other ways, it has been to the detriment of wrestling. So it's a lump of good and it's a lump of bad. I don't know that it's all one or the other. Well, speaking of plugging, let's do some plugs. Let's let's plug your social media, your YouTube, and the Wrestle Factory. Right on. Thanks very much. So, yeah, you can go to the WrestleFactory.com. Uh, you can find out about our two curriculums. There's a part-time curriculum called Tiered and a full-time curriculum called Core. And I'm teaching a seminar there on September 4th all about submission holds. So if you want to come out and you got your vaccine, come roll around in the ring. You can catch me on YouTube, which is my main avenue of interacting with social media. My channel's called till we make it it's about 350 give or take videos as of right now if you're about to start your journey into training to be a pro wrestler you're an existing wrestler or maybe you feel like your career has plateaued and you want a chance to kind of break free of that and re reinvigorate your wrestling career till we make it is for wrestlers at every single stage of their career including those that are on the fence of jumping in and my most recent book is out on amazon and audible so if you want it in print Look for Pro Wrestling History, Six Threads and 16 Decades by yours truly, Mike Quackenbush, 
Or if you're not sick of hearing my voice by the end of this, <laughs> I'll read it to you over on Audible. Mike, that was awesome. Thank you so much for giving me some time today. I hope you, uh, hope you enjoyed it. I hope everyone uh, enjoyed this as much as I do. And I hope to have you back on sometime. I would love to do it. Randy, thank you so much for this. No problem, Mike. Hold on one second. Mm -hmm. All right, that was Mike Quackenbush. Uh, a lot of heavy things going on there with him. Uh, he, you know, he asked ahead of time if he could address some of the issues that he was having uh, during the, I guess, the high sensitivity time last year in professional wrestling. Uh, so I was glad to give him the forum to talk. Uh, I, you know, up until we started that interview, I knew he had trained Cesaro. I knew he had trained Eddie Kingston, Alexa Bliss. Uh, so many of the great wrestlers you see today. He loves teaching and enjoyed having the conversation with him back in the late nineties, early 2000. If you pick up a, a pro wrestling illustrated or the wrestler magazine, Mike Quackenbush was there. And then we found out the reasoning why he was writing the magazines. So that's just the way it was. It was awesome. It was awesome. So next week's guest, we're going to announce it on Monday on our social media platforms. I want to thank uh, Jonathan Mowry for coming on the show today. JD, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Member of the Cut uh, Pro Wrestling family through BackSportsPage.com. I appreciate it so much. Follow the show. We are on Twitter, Cut Wrestling BSP. Same address on Instagram. We are on Facebook. And we are on we're all the different podcast platforms. We're on Apple, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, you name it, we're there. Of course, here on YouTube, you're seeing this beautiful face. If not, you're hearing this wonderful voice on all your podcast platforms. Special thanks to Andrew Fumi. Uh, the rest of the crew, Jose Padilla, will be joining us next week. We have Matthew Sargent, Jamie Rush, Alyssa uh, Ducos, Andrew Fumi, our great director again and uh, producer. For all of them, I'm Randy Zelia. This has been the Cut Pro Wrestling Podcast, and we will see you next week.